You're listening to episode 259 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with the Netflix series Dark. And, dude, is there a more perfect day to be talking about dark i mean outside i mean it's dark it's pouring raining yeah i, I should uh after we're done recording i should just go and put it take a, a picture of outside my house because uh it could it's the perfect setting it could be dark could be right here in maryland right now oh my gosh and, and fortunately i got my lawn cut a couple days ago so i'm good to go for five six seven days straight of rain that they're predicting but yeah Anyway, uh, of course, this is guys, the week my daughter's at field hockey camp, though, so I don't know if she's enjoying it so much. Well, hopefully, it's on a turf field. At it least, is because at University of Maryland, so you know, she's it's all good. Yeah, well, they're they're kids. Yeah, little rain's not going to hurt them exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to remind you guys, as always, I'd love to hear from you. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip if you'd like. Send us the MP3. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch and consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. Now, the only piece of news I want to bring up this week is that I updated our feed in Google Play. And if you use Google Play, I apologize for not noticing that when we changed our feed about a year ago, I forgot to notify Google Play. Everything's good now, but until I updated it, you could only get through, I think it was episode 191. So you can get our podcast on Google Play, iTunes, which I think they now call Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. So, all right. Uh, You want to go with your tip of the week first? You know, you know, I, I'm going with Blade Runner 2049. And the reason this is coming so late, because obviously the movie came out ages ago, is that um, it had been so long since I had seen the original Blade Runner, I wanted to watch the original one first before I went and watched 2049. So I finally uh, scraped up the bucks to, you know, to splurge for the $13 Blu-ray of Blade Runner from Amazon and uh watch that and then the next night watch the 2049 and uh while you know nowhere near as good or as concise as the original i I still enjoyed uh blade runner 2049 it's still pretty good yeah and unbeknownst to each other we watched it for the first time basically simultaneously in the last couple days yeah that was really weird now i will ask you which original did you watch so I got the final cut. Okay. And I know because there's a all, bunch of ones, right? And there are all sorts of theories about which one you should watch. And I guess at the end of the day, you probably should watch them all. But yeah. uh, it, it can be a little bit maddening. So, yeah. Oh, what a. Yeah, I love 2049, but I need to go back and watch the final cut as well. And, and, and you mentioned uh, kind of. Uh, surreptitiously the length of 2049 which is it's you know pushing three hours yeah, I think three it was like hours two hours long. yeah and, and apparently that was part of the problem it had at the box office that theaters couldn't air as many showings as, as they ordinarily would with a two-hour film so it didn't make as much money as they hoped but you almost wondered didn't you think of that before yeah. you released a 
two hour and 45 minute film, but yeah, well, especially the first one, you know, well, at least the final cut clocked in at like barely over an hour and a half. So, okay. all right. Well, my tip of the week and, and you'll, I think, pick up on, you know, the connections here, which is not why I started watching this, but it's the British detective mystery and it is available on Netflix currently called collateral starring oh, Carrie yeah. Mulligan as the lead detective. And we of course know her as Sally Sparrow from the iconic Dr. Who episode blink. Mm-hmm. It also features Billy Piper, Ooh. AKA Rose Tyler, the right. first companion on the doctor who reboot, but that's not all. Oh, doctor who alum, John Sim, AKA the master. And then we of course also know him from life on Mars is in it as well. It's only four episodes. I ordinarily don't like these kinds of shows. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that they don't really grab me. But it's only four episodes. They've really woven a tightly plotted mystery. You know, of course, these three actors are great. The other actors who I'm, you know, really seeing for the first time are great. You know, I I certainly would recommend if you like this kind of uh, detective mystery collateral and that's it for me that, that's one i keep like i actually ha- i think I, I saved it in my queue and i keep kind of looking at it thinking should i go collateral I don't know. you know i didn't realize all those doctor who alumni were in there. i definitely watched it by now so i might have to bump it up to the top of the queue cool now one thing i i don't know whether it's just coincidence or deliberate but john sims character is named david mars hmm mars life right, on mars right yeah just just saying yeah yeah so david uh, Tennant too maybe yeah like uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah all right anyway <laughs> uh let's talk let's talk about dark because let's we've do. got a lot to talk uh, yes, about and, and and this episode just kicked ass all right so can, can i i would like to preclude our um conversation by uh a big mea culpa egg on the face type thing so you know last I was making a a big deal out of how everyone had flip phones in this. And we actually, um, you know, and then watching the second episode, I saw that there were people had smartphones. So I'm like, well, where did I get this? Who had a flip phone? You know, I thought, well, maybe this, it might be some kind of thematic thing that uh, at first I thought maybe everyone had flip phones because like they were this land, like kind of out of time or something like that, you know, or I thought then maybe, okay, well, maybe it was just Ulrich and Hannah had flip phones. Maybe they just had like burners that they were using because they were carrying on an affair. And I thought, well, but maybe I thought Charlotte might have had one too. And maybe that's just because she's old school. You know, so I was going, so I thought, you know what? I should just, you know, kind of fast forward and see who has flip phones, who has smartphones. And as it turns out, everyone has smartphones. <laughs> but in my def- in my defense, I will say this though, I, and I realize why I thought everyone had flip phones is because everyone's ringtones are like ancient, right? So, so I'm going to spend five minutes harping on. No, I'm not going to talk about ringtones though. But that's what you know. Like if you listen, all the ringtones are very basic, kind of early. 2000s uh ringtones um and so that i think that's what threw me off and made me think everyone had flip phones when in reality uh no one does so okay cool 
you're forgiven. Thank you. So, all right. Well, this is episode two of season one titled Lies, and it was written by Yante Frisia, who co-wrote all 10 episodes, and Ronnie Schalk, directed by Baron Bo Odar, who's directed all 10 episodes. And as we said last time, uh, Yante Frisia and Baron Bo Odar are the uh, creative minds behind Dark. And it dropped on Netflix December 1st, 2017. So, Right away, they tell us that this is nine hours since Mickle's disappearance. And we're going to kind of break this discussion down into Ulrich and the search for Mickle, Jonas's discovery, and the hooded man, a.k.a. the stranger. So, you know, why don't, why don't we start with the search for Mickle? And, you know, one of the things we, we do get a little bit more information about Eric. And right away... Uh, you know, they tell us that the dead boy, and, and I think we knew this as well, it was not Eric, but his ear canals had been destroyed. The burns on the eyes are obviously, you know, right front and center. Yeah. But the, the, the explanation of the ear canals, while you know, I understood what she was talking about, I don't necessarily have an Did explanation. You? I, I really didn't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I understood it, but I don't have an explanation for it as to how it happened right well she's saying that he kind of like got thrown around like like in a centrifuge or something like that yeah okay right right i did understand what she was saying okay now as we said the dead boy's neither mickle nor eric but he is dressed in clothes from the 80s uh the coin was from 1986 and then of course we see later eric strapped in the chair while this documentary is playing in the background and we see a hooded man who's arranging the apparatus and and the whole idea of the hooded man and and the stranger you know we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a few minutes when we get to it but it can be a little bit confusing but on the television the person's discussing gravitational anomalies within a black hole and it appears that according to this guy that it can bend time and space. And then he asks, if we travel through the black hole, what price would we pay? How far would scientists go? And we certainly have to ask ourselves, is what's going on in dark a result of a theme we've certainly explored many times on this podcast, science gone awry and scientists not being responsible for their work? Yeah. It could be, or it certainly throws out there this concept of the black hole of, you know, when we get to the end of the the episode, can, I can't throw it out there already, just how, with with Mickle, where he is at the end. Well, yeah, I mean, look, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the episode, and we know at this right. point that we're talking about time travel right. to a certain extent. Yeah, so, you know, so Mickle... And well, we don't. We I guess he entered. Well, he, he entered the cave because he left the cave, right? So we right. assume he entered the cave somehow, and he leaves the cave, and he's gone thirty-three years into the past. He's back in nineteen eighty-six, and right. so when we consider, well, it's possible for people to go from twenty nineteen to nineteen eighty-six. Well, now we have this boy who is dead, who no one knows who he is because 
there's no one else dead or missing except for Eric and Mikkel, and this kid is neither of them. Well, is this Mads then, right? Is this a kid who came from – and also we have to remember Ulrich pretty much right away knew the body wasn't Mikkel. Now, we could say, you know, so either A, he recognized it. I mean, how could he not recognize – well, again, how could he not recognize his own brother? Like you'd think he'd say, oh, my God, it's Mads – shoes and his shirt and clothes and uh, totally and that's his walkman holy crap that's my brother but he doesn't really uh, so far at this point it doesn't seem like i don't i don't know if that he's he doesn't seem like he's really realized that he hasn't you know certainly hasn't vocalized it because that's crazy right yeah and i think we have to go on the supposition that this is in fact not mads for the reasons you just said yeah so. good point Now, the other aspect of Eric that we learn in this episode has to do with his father, who we learn was on duty at the power plant the night of his disappearance. And Ulrich goes down, searches his van, and Ulrich is really kind of going off the deep Mm. end. It's it's almost like a parallel. That's putting it mildly, yeah. How we saw Eric's parents in the first episode. Sure. And he's searching the van, looks at the tire treads, and of course it's pouring raining when he does this, but he goes inside a building that's locked, and of course he breaks the lock. It's as if his desperation is just getting the better of him. I mean, he's a policeman. You can't just break a lock to to go in and then, you know, oh, sorry, I you know, yeah. didn't Oops. mean to. But <laughs> he gets in there, and it's, of course, very creepy inside. There are these sheets hanging from the ceiling. There's a lot of junk like you'd see on one of these hoarder shows. And then Eric's father exits a nearby trailer with a shotgun to investigate what's going on in the building. And then when Ulrich finds that metal trap door and opens it and starts pulling the chain. And I I mean, I don't know. I I was half expecting a head. Well, inside. I I think that's what we all because what he pulls up is like a very head shaped package. And and so we're just like, oh my god! You know, obviously, as he's pulling the chain up, we're expecting like the worst, right? Like this is going to be, he's going. And at, at this point, we don't know that Mickle is okay, though okay, thirty three years ago. Though we're also saying, well, it's only episode two, so I'm not so sure he's going to haul up Mickle's body on this chain. But so we are really expecting whatever comes out of that chain to be be bad and when we see the package it's about the size of human head that's uh, that's totally where i went with that too yeah and the fact that it ends up being drugs and eric's father basically confesses to the fact that he and his son were working together and oh yeah we were selling some at school i i wonder whether his decision to basically lay his cards out on the table is because he felt this connection one grieving father to another i doubt it because he doesn't seem like he's probably a, a guy that thinks in those terms yeah and, and of course ulrich doesn't appear concerned about the drugs at all and just you know leaves him and the drugs and and we don't really see ulrich going to the station and even you know writing up a report yeah well and and so a couple things here uh, obviously as you said even though um was it uh, the the dad's name is uh, Tronte? No, I believe. no, Tronte. No, the uh, Eric's dad. 
Jurgen. Oh, I forget. Yeah. So even though there is, like as you said, you can't miss the connection between Jurgen and Ulrich, two grieving fathers, their sons missing, uh, have no idea, nothing to go on. So, you know, whether Jurgen realizes or not, I mean, it's totally there. But also, and, and I guess we've had actually some good feedback from our European listeners. I mean, we know, obviously, that the states are probably uh, have a, a little bit more stringent uh, in, in their drug policy, though it's you know, maybe loosening up a little bit. But yeah, it's it's funny. Like as a this guy admits to the police officer, "Oh yeah, those are the drugs uh, my son and I were selling them at school." Like that's you know sounds pretty bad actually, you know. And then uh, and then the police officer just said. Eh. So I think both of them, like what might be happening here is Jurgen. I mean, clearly Jurgen's got some shit that he's not telling us, right? And we saw sure. him before with the guy at the um, at the power, power plant, plant that you know, take care of it tonight. Take care of what? You know, like it's almost like I confess to, yeah, I've been selling drugs at school, and then this cop won't go poking around into like the really big thing I've got hidden in the closet, which I don't want him going to. And then for Ulrich, it's also like, you know, I was expecting to pull up my son's dead body. I pull up a, a stash of drugs. Well, it's just kind of anticlimactic. That's not what I'm going for. That's not what I care about right now. Whatever. All right. Now, Ulrich is at the cave with the other searchers and he's leading the search. My first question why does he think Mickles in the cave? You have to assume that he questioned the other teenagers, and I would think they would have told him that, you know, we're running through the woods, and he disappeared. So my first question is why the caves? But more to the point, he comes upon that door with the nuclear symbol, uh-huh. and he's got this revelation, and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, has no one ever gone into the cave before to know that the door's even there? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, maybe not. Yeah. Well, Eric had that nice, you know, lounge chair right outside the cave. So maybe they were about to go to the cave and just said, hey, I'll just sit down in this chair for a little bit and I'll go home. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, teenagers after firing up one or two might <laughs> be inclined to explore the cave. Sure. Uh, you know, just saying. But yeah. uh, uh, we'll, we'll let it go. Well, and that now, includes yeah. teenagers in 1986 as well as teenagers in. 2019 because you know at the end we 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 see teenage katarina and teenage ulrich and you know certainly the caves were around back then we assume right yeah now we talked last week about francesca and and how she knew to go to the caves and look for the drugs and and we get the answer she tells magnus that she overheard them talking about it at school very shakespearean plot development there but but what really strikes me about that scene is is when they run into each other in the woods and uh, you know she looks terrified at what he might do to her on the one hand well what did she really do i mean she beat them to the drugs but of course she, she doesn't have them a- anymore anyway because bartosh took them away from her but th- there was just something about the two of them face to face and, and and of course, he's got all of this guilt that he allowed his little brother to disappear. But after the first episode, when 
it almost seemed as if the two of them, you know, are kind of digging each other. Yeah. And they run into the woods and, you know, that ain't going to happen now because of Mickle's disappearance. Yeah. And well, we see the whole Nielsen family, as, as I believe you said at the beginning, they are just all are completely distraught. Their, their worlds have just been completely rocked and turned upside down. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. We were definitely, were getting some energy between Francesco and Magnus before, but here, you know, he's just, yeah, it's not like he's gone looking for, her, but he's just out of his mind, and you know, just like in in each of their way, they're all kind of out of their minds uh, with grief and despair. But uh, he, you know, and he just doesn't know how to channel it, and so he just kind of lashes out at Francesca unjustly, as you said. Yeah, well, speaking about not being able to channel it, what the hell's up with her father? I mean, we yeah. see him sitting in his car listening to a news report, and then he starts sobbing uncontrollably. Yeah. Now, we don't get an answer, but right. cle- clearly he knows something. Well, yeah, he's now, you know, but, well, last episode he was literally about to confess something to Charlotte, and she's like, ah, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's just like, okay, I'll tell you later. You know, so he's, yeah, I mean, there's definitely... Well, again, you know, secrets and lies, right, are the the titles of the first two episodes. And we are seeing tons of both. It's not like we just saw secrets before and just saw lies now because the two are so intertwined. This town is just chock full of, of secrets and lies. And, um, yeah, the psychologist, uh, we, we still don't know his deal. We don't even know his name yet, I don't think. You You had mentioned to me before about – the overarching themes of dark being secrets and lies. And certainly as, as you said, we get plenty of both Ulrich's father. I mean, he's doing laundry while Ulrich's mother's on the phone and we see the blood, I guess it's blood on the sleeve of that sweater. Clearly meant to think it's blood. And you know, it it could be red Kool-Aid or something, but yeah, it's clearly we're thinking it's blood. Right. And, And then of course she tells him, Immediately after that, first Mads, now Mickle. It's exactly like back then. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Tronte and, and his his like ter- terrible cover stories. Like he is, he's the worst liar ever. You know, like you you yeah. got out of bed. Oh, I went to work in the garden, but you started the car. Oh, I had to go pick something. You know, it's just like, dude, you are you're just terrible. Like you should. Definitely tell the truth more because your lying is just not, you have no game for lying. Well, but it's almost as if that's accepted in this community. Sure. That I, I don't think for a minute she believes a word of what he's saying. No. And Why would you? He it's knows it. We know it. Yeah. Right. You know, then we see that scene with Katerina and Martha, which was a really touching scene, you know, teenage daughter lying on the couch with her mother, head in her lap, asking about her father's brother who disappeared in 1986, was never found. And then she picked up on that thing that Mikkel had said about how horrible it would be to be lost and never found. Right. And of course, you know, mom's optimistic and is certainly convinced that he will be found as we said you know that that 
boy, they find dressed in clothes from the 80, the coins from 86. Charlotte seems to be taking the approach that somebody deliberately dressed the scene to look like the 80s. Sure. And then well, that's because this. that she is very methodical and logical, and that is you know Occam's razor. That's the simplest you know explanation. Certainly not that some kid was uh, transported through a time traveling cave from eighty six to now, right? Right. Now, when she plays the song on the Walkman, as I've mentioned many times, uh, I watch everything with closed captioning on. And so here I'm I'm listening to the English dubbing, but I've still got my closed captioning on. Well, it was, it was in English, I, I think. Well, yeah, but I don't no, know if I would have understood that song. it. Hold on. Okay. Right. But, but the lyrics that she plays, we fall through the time stream, then awaken from a dream. So as we said at the top of the discussion, clearly they're introducing the concept of time travel to dark and the lyric here uh, uh, certainly is meant for us to consider that a- as well. Yep, absolutely. But well, so, which Charlotte's- was I don't what, and again, I don't know if you looked this up. Was it the same song that you know, like when Eric? We saw Eric in the the blue wallpapered room, and the one time it's you know dead or alive was playing, and then the second time. It was like a German, seemed like an 80s pop band, but I'm not, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with who they were, that they were singing a song that, um, even in the dub version, that the the lyrics come up uh, as subtitles. And so they were were singing a song that dealt with like time and stuff like that. Um, So I'm wondering, and I was wondering that before, whether it was the same song. So I'm going to put that out there because do you, do you know that or I don't? Okay, so we'll put that out there. Maybe someone who is uh, not as lazy as I am can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> right, but falling through the time stream. Okay, uh, we're, we're certainly meant to pay attention to that. Now, Crazy Man Ulrich bursts into the police station while Charlotte's briefing the team with news about finding the door in the cave. And like I said, I still find it hard to believe nobody knew about that. Yeah. Still, he suspects it leads to the power plant, thinks everything is connected, wants a search warrant. And to her credit, you know, I think my first reaction would be, dude, calm down. Yeah, I think you need to take a couple days here, buddy. Right. But then, you know, then we cut to the power plant and, and that conversation that you mentioned earlier where the guy who was getting the massage earlier uh with hannah is telling jurgen we need to get rid of them tonight and and as you said what does that mean get rid of what yeah and well when someone who works for a nuclear power plant says we've got to get rid of them then you get a little bit worried well, yeah, and then uh, Eric's father balks at doing whatever he's being asked to do, but apparently has little to no choice in the matter. Yeah, um, what an a hole that guy! Not your, oh, I mean, you're just, you know, he's whatever. But the yeah, the guy in the suit, man, like, oh my god, he's like, do you know what the difference is between successful and unsuccessful people? No, he's just like exactly. Like, <laughs> F <laughs> you, <know>. man, <laughs> like. You go move your own nuclear waste then. (laughs) Now, you know, we've established that this is a small town and it's 
not surprising that the townspeople are all helping the police search for Mikkel. But then the grandfather, when he's asked about finding Mikkel, says, well, perhaps we won't find him. And, And you have to wonder, why does he think this? Is it because of Mads? And likely it is. And then we see Ulrich's mother opening the box of Mads' things, pulls out an action figure, and then we get that cut to the caves and the hooded man appears just inside the opening of the cave. But we, we don't really see any more than, than just that. But then when we see her at Mad's gravestone switching up the action figures. All right. First of all, I, I, I think a, a stiff breeze would knock that action yeah. figure over. But <laughs> yeah. And plus it's been raining here, pretty much constantly too. You know, so. Yeah. But the one she puts up here looks like the hooded man. Yes. Now, I'm assuming that's just coincidence, but well, no, I think I think that was done purposefully that the for the figure, especially when we're seeing scenes of the hooded man intercut with the um, you know putting this the with the shots of the figure. I don't know if it really gives anything beyond that. Just that they kind of look, and of course the the figures, I, you know, they they kind of look like masters of the universe but you know like i was i was a little bit old for like masters of the universe figures but that's what they kind of look like that might be i remember like skeletor and everything so yeah i i I think they they certainly i think you're right in saying that that they kind of at least call each other out you know and, and they're meant to like kind of reflect one on the other yeah you know, and then we get that scene where Ulrich's driving, and then it shows us Katarina just standing in the pouring rain yeah. as Magnus comes home, and both of them are just soaked to the bone, right. and, and they don't really say anything to each other. It's just the the grief is, is just palpable. Yeah. Um, oh, I just realized house. something, Dave. Before we, we go on, because I just wanted to—I'm sorry to cut you off like that—to go back to the the gravestone because there was one thing that I was wondering if you noticed. Did you notice the the death date for Mads' grave? I did, but I don't remember now. It was the infinity symbol. Oh. So, okay. I mean, I get, like, technically why you would do that because they never found the body. Who knows? Is he even dead? Um, but also, like, when we're talking time travel and everything, like, infinity, like, I was like, whoa. Because I, I definitely did not notice that the first couple times I saw this, so. No, I didn't either. You know, now now just to, to just keep going for a second, you know, then Magnus, who we mentioned earlier, is, is dealing with this guilt over losing his brother, and he's just punching that wall yeah. until his knuckles bleed. And he's probably thinking, well, the weed was more important than my brother's safety, which, of course, that line of thinking is crazy. On the other hand, once they all freak out and start running, the fact that he left his brother behind, that is kind of inexcusable. And maybe that's really what's getting him. I mean, Jonas did take care of Mickle, and obviously he just disappeared. That's not Jonas's fault. But Right. Well, you know, we know that, that something supernatural occurred. I mean, at the end of this episode, Mickle is in 1986. So... You know, Magnus doesn't know that. The other kids don't know that. So, but Magnus definitely seems to be the one who is, like you said, he's he's blaming himself completely, and and that is understandable. And while we don't 
necessarily blame him. Yeah, like you know they, you know he what in his mind was an innocuous. We're gonna just go out to the caves, grab the drugs, and come back. It'll be no problem, no danger here. It's no problem bringing my little brother. When and obviously, you know he he shouldn't have. Mickle should have been nowhere near there. But uh, but you know we're starting to see that there's there's greater forces at work here. But of course Magnus doesn't know that. Yeah. Now, what do you think about Hannah showing up at the police station to oh, comfort Ulrich? Dude, I don't know. I I tend to try and think the best of someone who's you know nipples. I get to see like right at the first shot of the, of the show. But oh my god, like stalker much? You know. Well, he put his hoodie on right away in that first scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's just totally like, oh, like. Uh. Well, and, and then, of course, he says, I can't do this. Not now. And I'm thinking, like, really? Just because your son's missing? Come on. <laughs> right, right, right. But, I mean, she's like, I mean, she looks like she's wants to go, like, right there in the evidence room at the police station, you know. Yeah, and then, of course, when Ulrich comes home to Katerina, we have that exchange where she tells him, and they do comfort each other physically, they hug each other, but she says, whatever happens, you'll tell me the truth. And I'm wondering, well, is she talking about Mikkel or the hair she found on his hoodie? Right, because she, like, grabs his face. Like, it's not like a, you know, like this gentle kind of, you would, you know, she like grabs him. She's like staring into his eyes very aggressively saying, you'll tell me the truth. And you're absolutely right. I was thinking the same thing. What is she talking about? Is she talking about, you'll tell me the truth about, um, about Mickle, no matter how bad it is, or you'll tell me the truth about what you're doing on these morning jogs from, you know, remember Regina said, you know, suggested in the last town meeting that you need to like kind of look in your own closets or whatever. Um, so, you know, I mean, as, as careless as we've seen Ulrich being with this affair in the first place, I think we find it hard to believe that Katarina doesn't at least have some kind of like suspicion that he's uh, cheating on her. Yeah. You would think now the, flashing lights we still don't really have an answer i mean we assume they're somehow tied into the power plant but they seem to be flashing all over the town charlotte exits the station and that's when we see her bend down and find dead birds littering the ground literally dozens of them and and of course we don't have an answer for that either but well we did see the the stranger also earlier you know, reaches down and he's like, he's outside and he, there's a dead bird at his feet. Um, right. And we, of course we don't know. And that's the thing about a show like this. We don't know when things are occurring. Like, is that shot like, and this is like what Westworld has done to me, you know, like just because one shot is, you know, next to another, does that mean they're happening kind of at the same time? Well, no. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily. And that's probably a great place to transition to the hooded man who is referred to as the stranger in the credits and he's got dirt smudges on his face he looks down at the search team in the field and then he picks up that dead bird that you just mentioned 
suddenly Jonas wakes. So we're wondering, okay, is this a dream that he's having? Is his father, as he's alluded, trying to communicate with him? And then some kind of black liquid. And we were talking about this last time. Seems to ooze out of his ear. Here's someone calling his name. And he wakes up again. Yeah. So it's like inception, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. So what's a dream? What's reality? Of course, what does reality even mean in the town of Wyndon at, right. at this yeah, point? Yeah, exactly. Well, and you're right. Is is Jonas dreaming of the stranger? Was that the the stranger actually? Was that shot part of Jonas's dream at all? I mean, we're certainly led to believe it was, but not necessarily right it could have just been a shot and they just showed jonas waking up was he dreaming of the stranger who he's never seen before doesn't seem completely likely but he's also apparently seeing in both dreams and in when he's awake seeing his his father right now the the other fascinating thing about the stranger i mean we see him check into the Wyndon hotel and regina understandably looks a bit taken aback by this guy but apparently a customer he's got money <laughs> yeah a customer but you know one of the things we see i mean you know we see him cleaned up a bit he's gotten out of the shower he's got notes and articles pages from newspapers on the wall but did you notice the scar on his neck as if he'd been hung I mean, that's what I, that's how I look at it. Uh, now, I did not notice the scar as if he'd been hanged. I mean, obviously, we want to think, oh, is this Jonas's father, Michael? But why wouldn't Regina recognize him? Right. Well, we would and it's probably. And a different actor anyway. Right. <laughs> We'd probably recognize him. But, uh, yeah, well, who knows? Like, at this point, you know, like, like, literally at the end of this thing, the kid is traveled from 2019 1986 so that pretty much means all bets are off as far as everything else could go like as any crazy theory could could be in play here who knows what's going on Um, i did not notice that scar but that is interesting i have to go back and check that out but there there this guy this stranger there this he's he he's he's definitely something's going on with him you know, like he's definitely well, part of this, and we, you know, think did he take Mick a wheel? No, and, and here's the thing, also because we got the hooded guy back in, you know, the this room with Eric, right? So yes. clearly, you know, we're not sure whether we can equate the the stranger with the hooded guy. I mean, they both wear these dark jackets with big hoods that cover the whole face. So, you know, it could be him back there with Eric, but also, you know, again, he's in a different place. So he's not, you know, we see him definitely in Wyndon, whereas, you know, where Eric is does not seem to be in Wyndon, or at least not out in the the world of Wyndon. Right. And, And of course, he has a copy of the book, A Journey Through Time. Right. Doesn't get any more obvious than that. That's pretty. And then he opens that case. That reveals some sort of machine or device that appears very 19th century, very steampunk. Yeah, I was about to say very steampunk. But as you said, the hooded man looks like the one from the room. And then we see him dragging a body 
through the woods at night and the body does appear to have red hair. Yeah. So we wonder, well, is this Eric? I'm, is the body even dead? Well, he's, he's the got the, you know, the eyes are, you know, like, like just like the, the kid in the morgue, you know, the, his eyes are blasted out. So we're, I think we're kind of led to believe that it's certainly very suggestive that it is Eric and that he did die in this machine that he was strapped into. Obviously, the power plant guys are trying to cover up something connected. We don't know. And then the hooded man's back in his room and he posts that newspaper article on the wall. Where is Mickle? The headline states. And then he takes a Sharpie and crosses out where and writes when. Yeah. And then, of course, we cut immediately to the cave. So that idea of when is Mickle. So obviously, the second episode lays the time travel theory out there really about as plainly as it can do. And, and that's fine because sure. we're still confused. Oh, yeah. Plenty confused. No, no question about that. Right. Now, uh, we mentioned Jonas's discovery, and he goes into his father's studio almost as if he'd never really seen his father's paintings before. And, and we get a sense of chaos. They're, they're certainly dark. they somewhat disturbing. And then he sits in front of that large canvas. You know, he's lying on the floor. I don't know if he falls asleep or not. But, but suddenly he notices a loose board in the ceiling where his father has hidden some papers. And it turns out to be this map that his father's pieced together of the town, the caves, the power plant. It appears to be hand-drawn for the mm -hmm. most part, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And his focus goes to the notation, where is the crossing? So we're wondering whether he's going to bring this map to anyone's attention. It certainly would have been nice to get a better look, but since all of the writing would have been in German, I guess they would have had to you know, subtitle it for right. us as well. But it leads him to talk to his mom about whether or not his father was hiding something from them. And his mom says, well, I'm not really sure I know who he was. And then, of course, as she says that, the power comes back on just as he asks her if she loved his father, to which she doesn't even answer. She does not answer that question, right. But all of which leads us to a pretty damn big reveal at the end of the episode. And we see someone making their way out of the cave as this figure emerges into the daylight and open space. We see that it's Mickle still in his skeleton costume. And then he starts running through the woods, returns home and he starts noticing things that I think in retrospect, it's easy to say he looks at them as if they don't belong. And of course that's what it is. He sees right. the mini bike his key doesn't work, and then the door opens. I'm Mickle, and I live here. Yeah, well, I'm Ulrich, and I live here, you dope. Yeah, and he so, smacks him. Uh, of course he does. And, and we're piecing together what's happened, and it does seem as if Mickle does as well. And as Mickle's standing there, a teenaged Katarina arrives to meet Ulrich. They get on the motorbike and ride away. And that's when he sees the newspaper on the porch with the headline, something about Chernobyl, and then the date, November 6th, 1986. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty certain that Mickle realizes that he just met his parents as teenagers. 
Whether he's going to start doing the 33-year math or not, we don't know. But it does appear as if he has some clue as to what just happened. I don't know. You don't I think so. I, I, yeah, I would just think that anyone, I guess if, if you and I, if this happened to us, we'd right away probably be like, oh, I clearly just have gone back through a portal in time and now I've just met my own father and mother. But uh, I don't know if Mikkel is making that connection right now. It, why would he? Like, why would you think, you know, like he would probably go somewhere like someone's messing with me or something like that. Or this is some elaborate prank or, you know, or something like that. I don't, I don't know. It, it, I, don't, I don't know if he's processing it just, just yet as what the, the full significance. I think I was wrong in saying that he got smacked, though. Because right when you said Katarina pulled up, then remember, no, it's Katarina uh, slaps Ulrich on the side of the head. Oh, okay. So it's like this kind of theme of the Nielsen family, um, you know, trying to give each other concussions or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I just I don't feel like he is. I I just think that I wouldn't be able to, to process that 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 quickly. But certainly, he he he's starting to feel like at least I could say that he's starting to feel like something is is horribly wrong here. And you're probably right. I'm probably giving him a little too much credit, especially for his age. Although, as adults, we realize, okay, this would be a pretty elaborate prank. The cars that they would have, you know, there was a lot to process right. here. But true, true. You're, you're probably right. So well, that's a good point. I, I, like everything he's seen would be abnormal to him. Like the, all the cars are really weird. It looks like some old movie I saw, right? And uh, um, and there's like this, there's a moped and another old car in the driveway. My key doesn't, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying too. Yeah. Like there, there, there's so much going on that's completely different that he, he probably is, you know, it's not like when he sees the date, that's the first time he started to think, wait, I'm not, this isn't where I'm supposed to be, or this isn't the, the same place that I left. Right. And he lives in Wyndon, which has a history of weirdness and like i said whether he does the math once he sees the 1986 and you know puts the 33 year thing together we we don't know but you know yeah. I, I think he will well i think um, also it's well, a testimony to small towns everywhere that 33 years ago Wyndon pretty much looks like what it looked like 33 years in the future you know so like like really the only thing that's different are the cars all right, well, listen, before we get to the listener feedback, do you have anything you want to bring up that we didn't talk about yet? Um, well, just we really and, – and I don't really want to talk a lot about Bartosz because I'm still mad at him. But we see him getting like the cold shoulder from Martha. And also, you know, he's like, you know, trying to call her – and he's like, call me and everything. And it might just be, again, the um, – this, this might be the translation kind of – but when he signs off – leaving the, the message from Martha, he says, cheers, which is like, you know, like for your girlfriend whose little brother just went missing, if you sign off with cheers, it's like seems a little like you're not kind of really understanding the gravity of what she's going through right now. But she won't talk to him anyway, so good for you, Martha. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we kind of see that dynamic happening. Um, and of course, what we also saw last episode was with Jonas's return, 
that, you know, Martha still seems like, you know, like even though things are awkward, it also seems like she was still, there's something between her and Jonas still. And so, you know, Bartosh is probably, because we know that Bartosh, so far what we see of him, he's pretty, you know, thinks about himself a lot, uh, first and foremost. So he might actually be concerned with Jonas's return that, uh, that Martha is starting to to dig him again. So, all right. Well, why don't we go to the listener feedback segment? And we got a new listener checking in, name of Zero. And Zero says, Hi, Dave and Wayne. As one of your German listeners, I felt spurred to send in some feedback for once. First off, I love that you chose this show to discuss next. It is, in my opinion, probably the best TV drama out of Germany ever. Let me add some of my perspectives. You were talking about what might be the reason for the power plant to be closing down. I think the reason is, as a parallel to real life, that the federal government decided to quit nuclear power after the accident in Fukushima, Japan, some years ago. As this is not something you can do in a day, in the show it takes up to 2020 for this particular plant to be next in line for the shutdown and dismantling. Okay, that that certainly makes sense. Sure. Then you were discussing the setting of the small town and its realism. Well, even though I lived in larger cities all my life, I have some relatives in small towns, so I have somewhat of an idea. And to me, it seemed fairly realistic. It has families struggling economically, fading infrastructure, shrinking numbers of young people, and seemingly a general lack of opportunity. Then, on the question of the school and the assembly at the beginning of the school year, in all my 13 years of school in Germany, I have not once had an assembly in one of my schools in the way you have them in your high school. Thank God. I, you know, now I want to move to Germany, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, si- the size of the school and the amount of students seems small, even for a small town. But depending on what kind of school it is, it could also be realistic. It might be a school where you only have years 11 through 13 for your high school diploma, which is the highest level of school education allowing you to then sign up for university. With this sort of school in a small town, it wouldn't be unrealistic to have only about 200 students, three years divided into two classes per year of maybe 30 students. Now, he goes on to say, in the first episode, you were trying to figure out the timeline after the suicide of Michael. Your estimations were based on a three-month summer vacation. In Germany, the summer vacation is only six weeks since there are more vacations throughout the school year. I have no idea what's up with the flip phones. Well, we already addressed that. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Even in the most backward town, (laughs) almost everyone would have a smartphone by now. Yeah. So I have no idea what is up with that. Uh, There's a good reason why, because there was nothing up with that. (laughs) Right. That's why. Thanks for a great podcast. Keep up the good work, Zero. Zero, thank you so much for checking in. Yeah, that's some brilliant feedback, man. That was really good. Yeah, man. Hopefully you will on uh, a weekly basis from now on. All right. Uh, We also heard from Fred from the Netherlands. So let's hear what Fred has to say. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback on Dark Season 1, Episode 2, episode called Lies, or in German, Lügen. First off, I have to admit I did not listen to your premiere podcast yet. 
I always listen to podcasts on in my cycling tour to and from work, which is about half an hour each. I discovered the upload just after getting home on Friday. So, coming Monday, I'm going to listen to it. I'm also quite busy to watch and give feedback for the just uh, last Friday started fourth season of Kill the Oist and on the same day the third season of Winona Earp. Okay, talking about this episode of Dark. This second episode is quite slow in pace. Nevertheless, we get some major reveals and new plot lines. I think the theme of this episode is the overwhelming sadness, guilt and anger in the family Nielsen. All members are dealing with the disappearance or even loss of Mikkel. I think the director and the actors did a very good job in getting those feelings across. The rainy dark weather and the music greatly contribute to the right emotional setting. You can really feel the heavy burden on their shoulders. Some major new plot lines are of course the stranger who checked in in Regina's forest hotel. Who is he? I know who he is, but no indications are given so far um, who he could be. Alexander um, is not letting Ulrich uh, on the power plant grounds. Why? What does he hide? What are these bulldozers loading onto that truck? What does the exchange of that action figure on Matt's grave by Jana mean? Why does she do that? Who is the dead child that is not Eric nor Michael? Uh, why is he wearing 1918 clothes? What is the meaning of the maps of the caves that Jonas finds on his father's attic? What is the meaning of the locked up child getting electrodes on his head? And the last one, Mikkel landing up in 1986, seeing his parents as teenagers. As said in the previous podcast, my wife already saw this series uh, and is also coming from Germany. She told me that the setting uh, they are going to create in Germany 1986 is quite accurate. And she can judge it because she was 18 uh, at that time herself. I think, another topic, I think Ulrich's finding the drugs in Obendorf's glass houses is just a distraction and not one of the major plot lines. It was nicely creepy filmed uh, though. So, lots of new unclear plot lines. Uh, I'm very much interested in the next episode, but I first have to watch a new season uh, of pilots of Killjoys and Winona Up. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, Fred. Well, first off, Killjoys is off to a great start. Um, I'm not going to go into my reasons. I'm, I'm done with Winona Earp at this point. I gave the season three premiere a chance, but I couldn't even get through the episode. So now, as that's kind of like me and the very first yeah. episode of Winona Earp, except I had to because yeah. we podcasted on it. Yeah. Now, as to the theme of sadness, I just can't imagine what it must be like for a parent. But the scene with Magnus punching the wall is pretty powerful. Um, 
the stranger. Now we do see the mark on his neck. Um, so there is that obviously Alexander is hiding something unless it's just a misdirection, yeah. which if that's what it is, I'm not going to like that. Yeah. But, and we don't really uh, know. Uh, we don't know his name yet. Right. Like, yeah, no one said. It. So but, that's why but, during the, the podcast, people might say, wait, wait, how come you didn't call him that third podcast? It's like, well, cause they didn't, they still haven't revealed his name yet. They, you know, he's just the guy getting the massage and then telling, um, well, just being kind of an a-hole all around in, in this episode, not yeah. letting uh, yeah. Ulrich into the power plant to to search, and then uh, telling um, Jurgen to uh, go out and and hide something. Yeah. Now uh, you know the map that Jonas finds. I I too wish we could get a better look, and certainly I would need a translation. But uh, but Fred also sent in uh, a little bit of additional feedback, and he says. Uh, Dave was calculating the time that had passed between Jonas going back to school and, and when his father, Michael, hanged himself. And you said it should be about five months, two months of absence, three months of summer. And he says uh, what Zero said is that in Germany, summer holidays are only six weeks right. because of holidays throughout the year, Christmas, Easter, spring holidays. Because we assume Hannah didn't get into her relationship with Ulrich in a time period of three and a half months after her husband died, we can assume she had that relationship already. On the other hand, it could be a grief-compensating relationship for her and is quite new. So we don't know, and I think really all it tells us is what kind of people they are, whatever the truth about their affair actually is. I mean, I guess we could argue that the fact that they're having an affair tells us yeah. something about them, but you know, I guess it is or could be important when they started that relationship. Now, Fred says, you were talking about Mickle's magician's outfit, of which you said it looked more like a Halloween costume, and that could be right in 2019, but you have to realize Halloween is not a European thing. Just for the last 20 years or so, we took over the American habits. So what I'm amazed about is that when Mickle goes back to 1986, nobody reacts to his strange outfit. Other kids like Katerina, which is actually his mother, teases him, like you mentioned, but not about his outfit, whereas that would be an easy target for teasing. Fred says, one other thing you were talking about was Regina not having guests in her hotel due to the disappearance of Eric. I think Wayne is right that. that, (laughs) Would would you say just just saying that is just so painful? (laughs) I think Wayne is right that this is a small town with not many holiday guests in the first place. And a nuclear power plant next door doesn't make it any better. And we shouldn't forget that Ulrich's brother Mads disappeared 33 years ago in the same town. And I'm sure the news will remind listeners of that incident. Now, also, Mickle is gone, and I think Regina can really forget getting hotel guests at this point. Maybe a bunch of reporters. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nice remark from Dave that he liked the red brick Nielsen house. I do know such houses. Actually, my father-in-law is living in such a house in northern Germany. Greetings. All the best, Fred. So... Fred, as always, thank you for the great feedback. Zero, hope you'll check in again as well. And, I mean, this 
series just really i mean it's so complex and and again as i'm watching it last night for a a rewatch which is actually the third time i've seen uh that episode my wife picked it up again and she'd seen it with me the first time and she was asking me a lot of questions along the way but but still there were things that i can't remember which right. I guess always happens. And sure. in a show like this where there's so many details and every detail seems to mean something, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's why I was like kind of like psyched to you know, podcast on this because I'm like, you know, this will give me a chance to figure out what the heck happened in this show. Because <laughs> like, you know, for uh, a lot of it, like even after watching it the second time, there's still a lot of stuff that I'm kind of like confused about, so. All right. Well, anything else you uh, want to bring up, or you want to leave it there? I th- I, th- I think that's uh, I think we're good. All right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Dark or anything else that's going on in genre television. We'd encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, spread the word. Emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about season one, episode three of dark titled past and present. But until then, you know, Dave, I I can't do this. Not now. I'll call you. Okay.